0: If you have a Bible, we're going to be hanging out in Acts chapter 20. Uh, But before we get there, I I want to read just one statement that Jesus made, and I want to give a little context to where we're going today. I did not know I would be preaching here today until yesterday morning. So uh, I wasn't planning on being here. I was even considering taking the weekend off because I'm preaching pretty much every weekend between, well, now and Christmas. So this was kind of my last breath before the big fall push, but uh, yesterday I got a call and Seth just was, he came ill, and so I ended up having to pull something together. And uh, although I might stand here a little underprepared more than usual, uh, one of the things we've been learning through the book of Acts is that if you're in Christ and you've given him your life and he calls you to do something, he leads us in triumphal procession. And I actually found that God has something I think he wants to say to us today, so I'm just thankful for that. Uh, I'm not gonna waste your time, I promise. I feel like the Lord has something he wants to say to you. And so uh, if you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 20. I wanna read this, and I wanna welcome those of you who are at your RV or on your camper. Come back to church next week, please. Uh, I'm glad you're online, though. It's time to... I've had it with empty seats, just saying not that i need full seats it just does something to a preacher's heart when you're paying attention and the room's full i'm not gonna lie to you pro tip if you want me to finish soon say amen a bunch and let me know you're listening all right good (laughs) matthew 16 jesus says this and he's talking about the church and this is the first time you hear him mention the church this is the inception of the idea and he's talking to the apostle peter And Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Jesus says, bingo, you got it. Not, that's my paraphrase, but he says yes. And then he says to Peter, he goes, blessed are you, and God's revealed this to you. And then he says this, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. He launches this idea of the church now in which you stand. And he said, I will build my church And then he said this, he made this promise, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Sickness, illness, ISIS, debt, the economy, the stock market, nothing in this world or under the world will conquer the church of Jesus Christ. It's his idea, and she's everlasting. I want to talk to you today. All right, you guys guys want me to finish early. I like this. I want to talk to you today. From the title and the topic something worth fighting for something worth fighting for would you pray with me one more time jesus we thank you i thank you that i can stand here today fully confident even though i'm not confident in myself lord i'm thankful that i'm confident in your word and wherever your word is spoken or preached it never returns void it accomplishes its purposes I thank you today as we open your word. You've got something fresh for us. You have something to call us to, something to empower us with, something to bring us flourishing in our lives, because that's what you're about. So God, we just give you permission now to speak to us. Would you plant the seed of your word in our hearts, and would you call us forward into fullness of life, because that is your will for us. We love you, and we praise you, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Turn to two people and tell them, I think this one's for you. Pay extra close attention, then you can sit down. As you turn to Acts chapter 20, as you turn there, i got a couple quick announcements I want to take a moment. I don't always have time to do this, and I promise I'm not killing time. I have a full sermon, but I want to talk about a couple things before we jump into Acts 20. First thing is this. I want to bring you an update. Uh, Those of you who are here in the spring, we launched something called MOVE. You can still see the letters at the back of this room here. And uh, it's it's an initiative, a vision that God has called us to, and many of us have given so faithfully. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness this summer. Even those of you who haven't been here every week, when you've been here, you've been so faithful to give. And it's been so strong, and I thank you for that. And I want to bring to your attention that it's making a difference, and things are really starting to happen. You may have noticed when you pulled onto the parking lot here at the Valley Campus, there's a couple things happening next door. That's because of MOVE, and it's happening. We're hoping to have that done the end of the month or the start of next month, so the whole brand-new Kids Wing, state-of-the-art, it's going to be incredible. Just a safe, clean, brand-new everything over there, mold-free, central air, sprinkler systems, new electrical. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to feel good about sending my kids there, so you can feel good about sending yours there. I'm excited about that. And then I'm I'm equally here, probably even a little bit more excited about what's happening this week. One of the things we wanted to do with the MOVE initiative was combat child poverty as best we can, wherever we can, just try to get in there and make a difference over the long play in the city of St. John. And so we're just trying to look for different ways we can do that, and we've got something happening this week called Every Child. We're on Thursday night. We're going to be holding an open house at the Princess Elizabeth Elementary School or school in the city, and it's probably the most economically challenged school in our city, and uh, we're probably the greatest number of children who live below the poverty line attend school. And so what we did was we bought 500 Roots backpacks. They're in the basement right now, and they're beautiful, nice, not hand-me-down backpacks, and they're stuffed with all of the school supplies that every student there is going to need. We've gathered hundreds of articles of clothing, and we've got... uh, barbers showing up, and we've got dental stuff showing up. And so families are going to come this week on Thursday night, and they're going to bring their whole family. They're going to get their kids a brand new backpack, all their school supplies for the, years, they can, for the year. They can get their hair cut. They're going to have stuff for their family. They can go into rooms and shop and take whatever clothes they want because of what we're doing with Move. And so I just want to give God glory and thank you guys for what you're doing with that. It's really exciting. And one more quick announcement. I know you're dying to get into Acts 20. You're about to start shouting me down because you want me to get going here. But one more announcement. Uh, How many ladies do we have in the house? Should be about half, about 49, 50%. Uh, We have an event happening at the end of this month called Harvest, our Harvest Women's Conference. Can I get a woo? All right, good. My guys left us hanging there. That's all right. And uh, at the end of this month, we're having Harvest. And Harvest is, this is, I think, our third or fourth year doing it. It's grown and gained steam every year. And uh, something just God shows up and does uh, in our church and through us. And it's something that reaches the whole Atlantic Canadian region. And uh, I want, as your pastor to the ladies here, I want to ask you to come to this, to make this a priority. Carve it out in your schedule. Go register today at the table on your way out. I want you to be there. If you could do that for me, two reasons. One, you and your family need it. You'll be better for it. I promise you that. And the second thing is this, it'll make our church better because the rising tide lifts all boats, I think the saying says. And as our women get poured into and they get life given to them and they get challenged and empowered at this event, it's gonna help our whole church get better. Amen? So I'll ask you, if you would please consider going to that ladies. I'd love to see three or 400 of our own women there before we even see the ladies from the rest of the, the, the region come. So that's happening at the end of the month. Next week, I was planning on preaching. So I have a series ready. It's called "How to Start a Fire." Every September is Revival Month, where we just kind of get before God, we start asking questions about how do we posture ourselves to live in the fullness of the reality of God? How do we revive our hearts and our minds to be all that God has called us to be? And so we're going to spend a month on this topic of how to start a fire, how to refresh and renew your soul with Jesus. And I'm excited to hit that next week, but today I do have a word for you. All right, Acts chapter 20. We arrive at this place in the book of Acts, and if you're just joining us, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. We're now at the end of our second installment of our Acts series. The first one was back in the winter, and then we spent the whole summer there. And we come in Acts chapter 20 to what is the end of a bit of a narrative that is being woven in the book of Acts. Anybody ever see the Lord of the Rings Return of the King? Do you ever notice how it ends like four times? There's like, it like almost ends, and then it starts again, like there's this other little story. This is kind of what happens in Acts. We come to Acts 20, and it's kind of the closure on one part of the story. And when we pick back up in Acts in January, uh, we're going to find it kind of take a different tone. It centers around Paul and what he goes through with the powers that be. But the story of the church being launched, that is the central story of the book of Acts. And as you've journeyed along, you've seen, as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, he said, You guys, he's talking to his disciples. He said, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says this in Acts 1. And we have systematically seen the word of Jesus come true, haven't we? How many of you know that the word of Jesus comes true? It just does, it's true. And he says this, and you see on page 2 in chapter 2 Doesn't the Holy Spirit come? The church is born and you start to see this global kingdom takeover that Jesus said would happen, it begins to happen. Day one, 3,000 people accept Christ and become part of the church, this church that Jesus launched. He he talked to Peter about. Day two, 2,000 more people became part of the church. Can you imagine? That's great growth. 5,000 people in two days. I'm believing for that. Amen? Mega church, day two in Jerusalem. But then you start to see, as we turn the pages, the gospel starts spreading out. It goes beyond Jerusalem. It goes into the region surrounding in Judea. Then it goes to a place that none of the Jews would have thought. It goes into Samaria. And now for the last several chapters, we've been reading about a man named Paul who God raised up to take the gospel to the ends of the earth or the earth that they knew at that time. And so Paul is the guy who takes the gospel all around the area of the Mediterranean, planting church after church after church, and you see him turning cities on its head. Thousands of people here in Acts 20 now, thousands of people are now followers of Jesus. The church is moving and growing and gaining steam every day, just like Jesus said it would. And so we find in Acts chapter 20, Paul is coming to the close of what was his missionary journeys. He took three missionary journeys, and this is the last of his third If you've been picking up with us and maybe here the last few weeks, we saw him go to Troas, and then he sails across, and he goes to Greece. He goes to Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. I mean, this dude just got around. And then we find he comes back to the city of Ephesus in chapter 20, and he does some preaching, some final preaching, and actually it's almost a funny little story if you read in Acts 20. He's in the third room of a building, and he's preaching, and the, the Bible says he preached so long that this young guy was sitting in the windowsill, and he started to fall asleep. There is biblical precedent for long sermons. Just saying. <laughs> this isn't going to be long, I promise. I saw all your radars go off. So it says he's preaching so long, this dude falls asleep, and he actually fell right out the window. And it's kind of this funny story. He died. That's not funny. But anyway, Paul goes down, and he's like, don't worry. And he's like, Jesus! And the guy raises again. And he brings them back up, and the the story goes on. This is the story of Eutychus. It's a funny name. His name was Eutychus. Eutychus, too, if you fell out of the third story. (laughs) For those of you who attend here, that is uh, homage to Greg Hansen, our pun master. And then we find in Acts 20, Paul kind of tying up his missionary journey, and he's leaving his last words to the leaders of the church. And he calls them together, and he calls the elders of the church. Now, you got to understand, for Paul, this was his baby. Like, this, this represented years of his life, his own sweat and blood and tears that he poured into these churches. This wasn't just some business that he was building. This was his family, and he calls the elders, the senior statesmen of the church, he calls them together for what is the last conversation he will ever have with them. He's giving them, essentially, his last will and testament. What would you say? What would your last words be if you knew what your last words were going to be to your family or you knew what your last words were going to be to your church? What would you choose to say? You're going to get a window into what Paul chooses to say for his last words to the church leaders at the time. Pick up in verse 22. Paul says this, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However... This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's not just a call for Paul, you know. Verse 25, he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. I love Paul. He's just not like wasting words. He's like, yeah, maybe we'll see each other again. I'll FaceTime you. It's like, no, nope, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> like just full on says it like it is. You're never going to see me again. And then he says this, now listen up. This is my last word to you. Therefore, I declare to you today first, I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God, the whole counsel of God. There's a message in there for for another day, but what he's essentially saying is this. I've told you everything I know. I've preached to you the whole gamut. I've told you the beautiful truths. I've told you about the hard truths. I've told you everything, and you know what you need to know. So if you don't get it, it's on you, not on me. That's what he's saying there. Then he says this. It's almost like he draws them closer, and this is the last thing Paul ever says to the leaders of the church. Look what he says. He says, keep watch. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church. What's a shepherd? A shepherd is the guardian, the caretaker of a sheep. He says, guard the church. Fight for the church. Cover it. Steward it. Shelter it. Shepherd it fight for the church. He says, be shepherds of the church. This is the last thing he ever said to them. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they'll not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Armor up. Your responsibility is the church. Remember that for three years I have never stopped warning you, night and day, with tears. I think this is so interesting. Like, what would you think Paul, the apostle, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, probably some of the most beautiful, poetic pieces of Scripture you could ever find. I mean, after all, this is the guy who wrote your famous wedding Scripture, love is patient, love is kind. Like, he could have left them sounding all pious and poetic, could have done some kind of mic drop statement like Ephesians 3.20 where he says, all right, guys, come in close. Here's my last words. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church of ever and every man." He could have said something like that. <laughs> he could have chosen to correct them and give them some course correction. Hey, guys, listen. It's gonna get tough, but fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Make sure you do that. It's gonna get real tough. You're in charge now. But he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't give them any kind of tips for Christian living. He doesn't give them an empowering statement. He charges them, and he says, above everything I've told you, fight for the church. Protect this flock. Shepherd the church. Guard it with your life. There's going to be wolves. Come at it. And I want you to lay your life down for the church. Protect the church. See, Paul, I think what we see here is he, he thought the church was something worth fighting for. He thought this ragtag group of people who, frankly, if you read his letters, I mean, Paul has his frustrations with the church. But at the end of the day, when he gave a last word about the church, he didn't talk about all the problems or the things they need to change or they're just a big business or they need to change this or do that. He says, love and protect the church. Lay your life down for it. Guard the church. Keep watch. She's worth fighting for. I want to talk to you today, just really quick, about why the church is something worth fighting for. Why would Paul think the most valuable thing I could tell these guys is not some pro tip about Christian living or leadership? It's that the church of Jesus is your top priority. Why did he think the church is worth fighting for? What do you think of the church? Usually, there's a few groups of people that will come around church, or maybe not come to church. There, there's group one. There's it's well known within the world today. Jesus even said it would happen. Hey, you know what? If if, if the world rejects you, just remember they rejected me first. There's there's always going to be criticism when it comes to the church. The church of Jesus is some is some of the most uh, you know it can be offensive. It can be hard to understand. And there's always people who dislike the church or dismiss the church. They don't want anything to do with the church. They don't fight for it. But more often than not, the people who come to church aren't people who have dismissed church outright. They just don't embrace church. There's a level of, I love Jesus... And I know church is necessary, but when it comes to fighting for the church, like giving it that center space in your life that I am going to fight and contend. I am going to fight for my kids' schedule to be in church. I'm going to fight for my finances to be part of the church. I'm going to fight for my own presence to be part of the church. It's worth it to me. A lot of people, a lot of us, we kind of get weary. We kind of come to this place where maybe you've got no fight left in you. Maybe it's someone else's fight. And I think what Paul would say to you as we come into another fall and we come in and I mean, we're coming into another fall and if you've been around church long enough, you know that every fall is the time where pastor's gonna get up and say, we need your help. And there's probably part of you that's like, I have no help to give. I have no more time. Or maybe you feel like I did my time, I've served, I've done it and now it's someone else's turn. I think what Paul would say to you is as long as you're breathing, you fight for the church. You fight for it. You contend for it. You keep watch over it. And my hope is today, just to give you a few reasons why I think Paul believed that the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, you, are worth fighting for. The first reason is real simple. And that's this. The church is something worth fighting for because Jesus is fighting for the church. Did you know that Jesus loves the church? think about that for a second. Whatever your ideas of church is, maybe something you go to once in a while. Maybe someone drug you here today. I don't know what your idea of the church is, but I'll tell you something. Jesus himself loves the church. The Bible actually talks about the church as the bride of Christ. It uses this metaphor to help us understand the passion in which Jesus views the church. You can actually go home later and read the Song of Songs. I mean, it's R-rated, y'all. I'm not even joking. It's, it's, it's intense. It gets a little hot in the Song of Songs. Some of you are like, I gotta check this out. But it's this metaphor of like a romantic metaphor almost. And it shows the ferocity in which Jesus loves God's people. That Jesus views us as his bride. That, that he loves us with this abandoned passion, like a young man who is head over heels for his fiancee. That's how Jesus views the church. And I'm I'm talking the whole church, not talking just the right church or the church that's growing or the church that does it my way. I'm talking every church that says Jesus is Lord, he's just head over heels with. I'm talking about the big church and the small church. I'm talking about the growing church and the shrinking church. I'm talking about the young church and the old church. I'm talking about every church. I'm talking about the church that has that sign out front that I just want to drive through. He loves that church. Jesus is in love with the church. So the first reason I think the church is so worth contending for is because Jesus contends for his church. Jesus loves the church. And I, I'll tell you something, and this is hard to understand, to wrap your head around, because oftentimes you'll hear someone say, well, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Did you know that's impossible? That it's actually impossible to love Jesus and not love what he loves and love who he loves. He loves the church. He loves his church, and I'll tell you something. I, I, I'll confess there have been times in my life where I have been very critical, dismissive. I've even spoke poorly of the church, but when I kind of zone back and I realize how Jesus looks at the church that it's not so unlike how I look at my own wife, let me tell you something. You can talk about me. You can call me Chubby. You can talk behind my back. You can say what you want. I'm probably going to dismiss it. And be like, yeah, whatever. You talk about my girl. We're going to have a problem. I don't care if you're Conor McGregor. I'm coming at you, bro. (laughs) I'll get beat, I know. But I'm going down swinging. Am I right, guys? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something in a guy that she is mine. I love her. And I protect her. Jesus views his church much that same way. I think there's a responsibility we have to love and shepherd and steward the church because that's the very heart of Jesus. Jesus loves the church. Paul would later say in, in uh, Corinthians, he was writing a letter to them, and he said, listen, husbands, love your own wives with the same ferocious, ferocious protection that Jesus loves the church. Lay your life down for her because that's what Jesus did. You see, Jesus loves the church. And this is what Paul said when he said, hey guys, listen, this is my final word to you, protect the church. Because remember, God poured out his own blood for it. That's how valuable the church is. That's how incredible and precious and beautiful this institution that we call the church is to Jesus. He's head over heels for it. He just loves it. Jesus loves the church. I found this cool quote from Charles Spurgeon about the church and about how we should give ourselves to it because that's the heart of Jesus. And some of the reasons that we tell ourselves, well, I don't want to go there. They're not perfect. Or there's just a bunch of hypocrites that go there. Yeah, join the club. We're all trying our best. Look look what Spurgeon says. He says it better than I do. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect. And I hope you almost feel glad you didn't. If I had never joined a church that I found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. Wouldn't have found it. And the moment I did, I did join it, if I had found one, I would have spoiled it, for it would not have been perfect after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as she is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth? If it's right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it's right for everyone. And then the testimony of God would be lost in the world. It says, give yourself to the church. If you're going to love Jesus, you need to love what he loves. You need to love the church. First reason I think the church is so worthy of your time, worthy of your investment, worthy of your attendance, worthy of you fighting for is because Jesus loves it. Second reason I would bring to you would go along those lines. There's another analogy the Bible uses when it talks about the church. It doesn't just call the church the bride of Christ. We are actually the family of God. Do you know that? The church is the family of God, that God has reconciled people to himself, and he's not just called us servants. He's called us sons and daughters. First John actually says, in 1 John chapter 3, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Let that sink in. That'll preach. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, he's not talking about the world here, although God calls us to do that too. When it says brothers and sisters, it's talking about the ecclesia. It's talking about the church of Jesus, that we are to lay our lives down for one another. Why? Because we're family. If anyone has material possessions, sees his brother and sister in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be, that, be in that person? What's he saying? He's saying you can't say the love of God is in you if you aren't in love with his family. This is your family. This is your blood. I think it's the most beautiful, incredible family in the world, don't you? I mean, the church is this like intergenerational, multi-ethnic, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and income status, and wealth, and everything you can imagine, all bound together under one great roof under the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you something I've learned, that the blood of Jesus runs thicker in my veins than even my own family. And I come from a great family. We're tight, and we do stuff together. We're going to Deer Island tomorrow. (laughs) But I'll tell you something. I can go anywhere on this planet, and I can find a brother or sister who will welcome me into their home like I am flesh and blood. And you only find that in the church to that level. I know you Habs fans, you keep it real with one another, but I'll tell you something. There is no family like the family of God. And I've seen it so beautiful. I mean, I get the front row seat, but I've seen you guys. I've seen when somebody in our family, a brother or sister, go through horrible tragedy. I've seen the family of God come together and surround somebody who, frankly, has no relationship outside of the church to these people, and they hold them and embrace them and carry them like they're their own flesh and blood. That's the family of God. That's why she's worth fighting for. I mean, I I watch as some of you ladies, anytime like a new mom gives birth, I've seen it happen so many times, you'll like arrange for like three weeks of meals. I, I experienced it a couple times when we had kids, and we had more food than we knew what to do with. That's the family of God. It's lavish. It's an incredible family. And it's a family that when it is functioning right, it's very magnetic and compelling remember one week I was at the back of the service, the back of the worship center as people were leaving, and this girl came up to me. She's probably in her 20s. She didn't look like the type who'd been to church very much, and I was so happy to see her. And she said this. She goes, hey, man. She goes, I love your church. I go, yeah, me too. she goes, yeah, I don't know what I think about the whole Jesus thing, but you people make me feel awesome. That's the power of the family of God. See, nothing unifies like the grace of Jesus. Because at the cross, all of our badges of honor, our flags that we wave, they all come down and we all empty-handed receive the grace that Jesus has given us. And it causes us to come together like nothing else could bind us together. It's amazing. Where else can you see rich people and poor people, black people and white people, young people and old people come together, arms around one another like family? It's the family of God, and it's a vision worth fighting for. And I'll tell you what, it does something to the world. It calls them in. I think when I was a teenager, my house was the house because my family was a stable family. And we were the house on the street that all my friends wanted to hang out in. We'd hang out in the basement or shoot hoops, and I think back on that, and I don't think it's because I was such a compelling individual. I think it's because my house was safe. She was stable. There was a predictability and a rootedness in my home that my parents set up, and the church does that for the world. Did you know that? We're the, we're the, we're the house on the street that the door is always open. No matter what you're going through, you can come here. You can crash on the couch anytime you need. You got fridge rights. Go ahead. That's our family. She's beautiful. I'll tell you something. I'm getting a little mushy now, and that's what happens when you don't prepare. But uh, <laughs> I love you. Like, I actually prefer your company. It's not a chore for me to come here and be with you. Like, you are my family. There's nothing like the family of God, is there? And if you're not part of it, I hope you just, again, this is why you dive in. This is why you contend for the church, because there's nothing like it. It's the family of God. Not just that. I'm going to keep going. We're going to get done here in a second, I promise. But the church is worth fighting for, not just because we're a family, but there's an actual responsible component to this. The church is the very embodied presence of Jesus in this world. Why is the church worth fighting for? Well, because if the world is going to see Jesus, they're going to see him through his church. If people are going to come to faith and salvation, it's going to be because the church told them. If people are going to receive the healing touch of Jesus, it's going to come through the church. And the church, Jesus said, you are my body. As you come together and you bring your gift and your talent and your your life and you bring your life and we come together, we form the very body and person of Jesus. We are his active witness representation in this world. If someone is going to experience what Jesus is like, it's going to be through the church. And the church is commissioned to do what Jesus did. Jesus was the great healer, so it's the church's job to lay hands on the sick and believe that Jesus can still heal. The church's job is to still heal marriages and relationships and restore minds and break addictions. We do what Jesus did. It's the church's job to speak truth. It's the the church's job to stand in authority and say, no, this is the way, walk in it. It's the church's job to shine a light into culture and say, yeah, you might think that sounds right, but here's the word of the Lord. This is our job. We have taken the very message of Jesus, and it's our job to proclaim it. See, we are the presence of Jesus in this world. It says that we're the body of Christ. Maybe another way to understand it, uh, Peter calls us the temple of God. Now, if you were a Jew, and he used that word, he's writing to Jews. The temple represented what? It represented the very space in which heaven and earth intersect. That's what they believed the temple was. The temple wasn't a place you just went to be religious. They believed that if I'm going to experience the presence of God, it's going to be at the temple. They believe that, and so Peter says, "No, no, no, no. You are the temple." That as you come together and you come together, God builds us together as living stones, and we are a living, breathing, moving temple of the living God in this world. There's this really nerdy term, and I, I'm so excited to share it with you. It's called a nexus. <laughs> it's like a sci-fi term. A nexus. It's like a, like a porthole. Maybe for some of you not nerds, it's a doorway. Boring. But a nexus is like, it's a porthole from one dimension into another. And listen, church, this is a good way to understand what we are. We are the connector. We are the intersection of heaven and earth. If someone is going to experience the living, breathing reality of God, if they're going to experience the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be through the church. And let me tell you something, the church is not this building you're sitting in. The church is not brick and mortar. This is why I'm such a stickler. It drives my wife crazy, but I'm not letting my kids grow up thinking you go to church. You can't go to church. You are the church, and the church goes where you go. Isn't that amazing? Like, get out of your head that I come to this place to go to church. We gather together as the church, but this is just a building, and bless God, he gave us an incredible tool to use, but I'll tell you something. It's just cement and drywall. You're the temple of the living God. You are built together as living stones, and wherever you go, the presence and reality of God goes, and we are the kingdom of God on earth. We are that intersection. Isn't that an amazing thought? Why is the church worth fighting for? Because we're the answer to the Lord's prayer. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, all right, pray this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer of Jesus, and we are the answer to that prayer. We are the doorway. We are the vessels in which the kingdom of heaven invades earth. That's an amazing thing. Y'all should be excited. You're not. I'm preaching better than you're acting, but whatever. (laughs) The other reason, I got a couple more, and we're going to be done. The other reason the church is worth fighting for is because, well, we're in a fight, I think Paul was grabbing them to say, hey, listen, like, this is serious. There are wolves coming. There is an enemy. It's going to get real. You're going to be attacked. Because why? Because we are the army of God, and we are in a war. And it's super easy to lose sight of eternity. Sometimes we feel so far removed from the spiritual reality that is God's domain. But I'll tell you something. You can flip on the TV, and you can watch what's going on in the Middle East, and you can see ISIS do their thing, and you can see whatever the heck North Korea's up to, and that all looks really real and stuff. But I'll tell you something. There is a war behind the war, and that's the war that we're in. There is this spiritual dominion happening, this spiritual conflict happening in which Jesus came. The Bible says that Jesus came to defeat Satan and disarm the rulers and authorities of this world. And that's actually the thing that we've been called to. Why is the church worth fighting for? Because we are in a fight, and I'll tell you something. Sometimes you hear it said that, you know what, the, the, the church has a mission. And we do, and that's true, but a better understanding is this, that the mission of God has a church. And that sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but I said two very different things. Because if the church has a mission, it kind of seems optional. But if the church is the agent in which the mission is accomplished, this is all-consuming, isn't it? There is a war we have. And I'll tell you something. Like I, I need to just constantly, every day, remind myself, no, I'm not just talking to someone, and things aren't just happening. There is a very spiritual reality behind what my physical eye can see, and it is actually greater, and it's influencing everything I see with my physical eye there is a spiritual reality in which we fight. And I'll tell you something, we need to, I think we need to like lock and load once in a while. Like I think we need to get a little more militant about our faith. And I'm not saying like we need, to be, we need to be like radical Islam, but I'll tell you something, we can learn something from them. They take dead serious what they believe. And it's written all over their lives. Their problem is they have the wrong God and the wrong enemy. Paul says, we war not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. That's the war. And I'll tell you something, whether you think it or not, if you are a Christian, you are a soldier and you have been enlisted. And here's the good news. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Now go take over. Jesus gave us authority over darkness that actually we are the very thing that is taking back ground day by day, life by life, conversation by conversation. We are taking back ground that the enemy has stolen. That's the mission of the church. We're an army. Last reason is this, and I'll leave you with this. I hope you just hear this, like I believe the church is the ultimate thing worth giving yourself to. And the final reason is this, and this is from like an investment standpoint. Let me... Let me some of you people who are futurists, let me help you. Yeah, it's the bride of Christ, that should be enough. It's the body, it's the temple, it's the army, it's the family, like a lot of really good reasons here. But let's just look forward for a second. To me, one of the greatest reasons why it is worth it for you to give your time and your energy and your money and your, your, everything you have to pour it out and to fight for the church, the reason it's worth it is because the church is the only thing in this world that you can invest in that will always last. The church is everlasting and i don't know what your passion is and i don't what don't know what's biting for your time but i'll say something maybe your dream is to grow the biggest most awesome company in the world and you want to make money and you want to help the poor and that's great and you're going to be the next apple and what have you that's awesome and bless you and i hope that happens well, i'll tell you something even if you build the next apple there will come a day where no one even knows what apple is Maybe you're a politician and you have this feeling in your heart like, oh, I can get in there, I can make some change, which that's great. And you feel like, if I can just get St. John to shift, which we're contending for that too, but maybe you feel like, you know what, if I can just make St. John great again, I'm going to get one of those hats. Let's make St. John great. Donald Trump, no. (laughs) If I can just make America great again, if I can just make St. John great again, maybe that's your mission. Great, Lord, let it be. But I'll tell you something, St. John will come and go. Canada will rise and fall. The great empires of the world rise and they fall. Like nothing is lasting but the church. The church of Jesus will always be. So when you invest yourself and you give yourself and you fight for and contend for, it's never in vain. It even says that in the Bible. Peter says that, like, don't think that you labor in vain because at just the right time, you will produce a harvest. It's never wasted. Even if you give your money and you're expecting an immediate blessing and you feel like, okay, God didn't give me what I was hoping for, it's never in vain. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest. When you invest yourself in the kingdom, you are investing in a vision that is everlasting. You are actually giving yourself and contending for the very dream of God. Jesus' very idea when you work for the church, when you give yourself to the church. Revelation chapter 7 gives us this little picture. Gives us a picture of what we're actually contending for. So when you, this fall, you're you're, you're fighting with your kids and you know what, you got hockey at 11 o'clock and you're saying, we will go to church. You don't do that in vain. It's working towards this vision, I'm gonna read you. When you are serving in the nursery and someone else's kid, you know what I'm saying? Someone else's kid, you just lack in patience and you're like, I am going, uh, yeah, it's not in vain. Every time you give of yourself to the church, it's into something that is everlasting, eternal. It doesn't expire. When you attend and you make it a priority for your family, it's not in vain. This is an eternal investment. When you show up and serve, and I think it's so amazing, only in the church do you see a CEO shaking hands at the door. We can't pay him. He does it for God. Only in the church do you see young people and old people laying down their, pre- their preferences for the better of the church. Because why? She's an eternal investment. It's an eternal vision. Let me read this to you. I love this. this one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. This is a glimpse of what we're going towards. Long after Canada has come and gone, long after the world as you know it ceases to exist, this is what there is. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. Yes, no one could count it. Don't give up on those people in your life. Are they in that multitude? no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God saying, amen, praise, and glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. hear the eternality in this. Now watch this. Then one of the elders asked me, these men in white robes, these ones in white robes, who are they, and where do they come from? And I answered him, well, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's a fancy word for saying they've been saved by Jesus. Jesus. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night, that's forever, in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence and never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the vision we are contributing to when we contend for the church. That's why Paul, he had one last thing to say, and it wasn't like, take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. It's fight for the church. Here's a question. When you think of the church, is your vision of the church something worth fighting for, something worth contending for? I, I know the church isn't perfect. I know there are woundedness, and there are things that the church hasn't gotten right. But I'll tell you something. She's worth fighting for, and Jesus is fighting for her, and Jesus is committed to the church for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. She's the bride. I'll tell you something. I've been been in full-time pastoral ministry. I'm in my 11th year, and I haven't been around as much as some people, and I'm getting some miles on the old odometer, and I have seen everything. I've had just about every job in this church. And I've seen everything. I've seen the highs and the lows. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I have seen things that would so disappoint you. But I have seen things so beautiful and so compelling that you would not be able to stop thinking about it and talking about it only in the church. And I stand here today with a lifetime of experience. I think about when I was a kid, my home church, I was born and raised there, like a little, it was, not, wasn't a big church at the time, but you know, a couple hundred people maybe, old nasty rust colored pews that smelled like a church. Didn't have quite what we have here, that's an understatement. But I'll tell you something, I, I am who I am because of that. Every week, being welcomed and loved on like I was their own son. Even today, like I go back there once like once a year maybe. And there's still some people who've gotten really old that still like come to me and hug me. Still one guy that says, forgot to shave. You did that when I was six. And like there is a beauty in that, that you get nowhere else. She's worth fighting for. I think about as I've gotten older, I think about when I was a teenager and I was given opportunity and chances that I frankly did not deserve and my church just loved on me and empowered me. I think of the people who, when I decided to go into ministry, give me a $100 or 50 bucks and say, I believe in you. I think about after being in ministry and being here, like... think about the time think about when we had a miscarriage that sucked but the church came around us loved us and helped us and healed us and fed us and served us and spoke truth into us where would I be without the church? I think about even this past spring. We, we lost my cousin, Lindsay. Even in that darkness, where would we be without this interracial, intergenerational beautiful bride who's not perfect but she's glorious where would we be without the church i am more convinced today this is why i I give my life to the church i don't have to do this y'all i gladly give my life to the church because i am more convinced than i have ever been in my whole life that the local church that you and me gathering together under the name of jesus that we are the hope of the world that we're God's plan for the world and we're going to do it. That as we come together and we serve one another and we lift up the name of Jesus, that we gather steam and people are going to come to know Jesus by the thousands through this church, that we are going to actually impact the very culture and DNA of the city of St. John and the greater St. John region. I actually believe that God is going to raise up us in so much power and influence that we are going to be a shifter in the culture and the very fabric of Atlantic Canada. That's the church, and she is worth fighting for. Just stand with me. I'm gonna pray for us. There is no place, no people, no team, no company, no organization, no club, no fraternity, no tribe, no nation, no country, no army, no power, no family like the church. Jesus has a church. She's worth fighting for, amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We Thank you that your words are true and they've been true all the way through. When you spoke to Peter and you said, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, your word still stands true. And we thank you, God, when you said in Acts 1-8 that you'll be my witnesses, and you'll receive power, and you'll tell people about me everywhere, all over the world. We thank you that that came true, and we thank you that it's still unfolding. And Jesus, we just today recommit ourselves to the beautiful, glorious vision that is the church. And God, we just want to say that you have a dream for us that so blows us away that, God, we haven't even seen the fringes of what you can do through your church when we come together in faith. And so, God, we say have your way in us. We will bring our best to you. We will fight for the church, and I ask God, in Jesus' name, would you raise us up to be an influencer in our day? Would we be the ones in which thousands are saved, God? We ask for a revival in the city of St. John, that not just our church is filled, but churches on every street and every corner are busting at the scenes with people coming back to Christ and giving their lives to you. Jesus, we ask for influence as we continue to grow. Would we shape and form and bring truth into the culture and where we live, God? Will we be your very active agents? Would the kingdom of heaven invade the earth, and we would not sit around and wait for a move of God, but would we embrace the fact that we are a move of God, and when we start moving in faith knowing, Jesus, that you are going to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we ask or even could imagine. Jesus, would you give us that vision of your church? Would you renew our strength? Would you renew our commitment? Would we fight for your church because she's worth it? We love you. We praise you. We give you glory in your church, and we're thankful to be called by your name and in your family. We love you. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Give me an amen. amen. Let's sing.